Well, we are here in part three of our series, Wrestling Club. And to quickly review where we have been in this series, Wrestling Club, we've been talking about the things that we so often wrestle with in life because life is full of things that cause us to wrestle, to wrestle with life, to wrestle with faith, to wrestle with God, to wrestle with what we believe and what we believe to be true about ourselves, what we believe to be true about God. And I'm trying to teach you how to wrestle because as we said from the beginning, people who know how to wrestle will always be better at wrestling than people who don't know how to wrestle. And when these things of life come and they try to knock us off the mat and try to knock out our faith and, and, work, to, and work to knock out our, our, our belief in God, we need to know how to wrestle because people who know how to wrestle will always be better at wrestling than people who don't know how to wrestle. And so the first week I challenge you to keep wrestling until you receive the blessing. Don't tap out. Don't bail out. Stay engaged in the fight because God has a blessing and a stronger faith and a deeper faith and a deeper connection with him on the other side of our struggle. We keep wrestling until we receive the blessing. And last week I challenged us that when we grieve, we grieve while holding on to hope, that while grief wants to move us away from God, while grief wants to, to, to cause us to naturally cause us to maybe doubt God or doubt God's goodness or doubt God's faithfulness, we grieve while holding on to hope that no story is ever over with our God. And so today, um, today I want to talk about one more thing that I think causes us to wrestle, and that's something that I would call delay. Matter of fact, wherever you are, would you either type in the comment section or would you say out loud, delay on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three, delay. Yeah. Delay is, is, is when something that we believe we should have hasn't happened yet. When something that we believe we have earned hasn't actually arrived in our lives yet. We haven't received the thing that we believe we have earned. You could say this. It's the feeling of I should have blank by now or I should have blank by now. Maybe it's that I should have achieved something by now. Maybe it's an amount in your bank account that you feel like you should have had by now. Maybe some of the, uh, an amount that you feel like you should be earning by now. Maybe it's owning a house by now, advanced in your career by now, finished your degree by now. You should have achieved something by now. If you're in real, if you're a realtor, I should have sold so many houses by now. Uh, if you, if you've been in some other industry, I should have accomplished this by now. I should have gotten a promotion by now. Maybe it's that you feel like you should be something by now. Maybe you feel like you should be married by now, be a parent by now, be a grandparent by now. Maybe you feel like you should have moved on or moved, moved on from the past or moved, be over the past by now. Some of you feel like in, internally you should be this or you know, externally in relationship with other people, you should be this by now. Or maybe it's just simply the thing, I should be somewhere by now, but I feel like I'm nowhere right now. I think, I think many of us, we're all too familiar with, with those types of feelings. I should be, I should have, I should have accomplished, I should have achieved, I should have received. With all the hard work that I've put in, I feel like I deserve that I should have this by now, but I don't have that by now. I should have, but I don't have it by now. And then if you really want to flesh out the frustration of delay, you add a spiritual element to it, right? That maybe you feel like God called you to this thing years ago and you feel like you should have seen it come to be a reality by now. Maybe you were promised freedom, but you still feel bound. Maybe you were given the great commission to go and reach people for Jesus and you've tried and you've prayed, but you've never seen someone come to faith through your direct influence. Like, like, like you should have seen that by now. And you haven't seen it by now. And, and let's be honest, some of the frustration that comes with this is not only that we feel like we should have and we don't have it by now, but we've seen people who have, 
you know, been around a lot, a lot shorter time than we are, and they've made far more progress than we have, whether that's in life or whether it's in faith or whether it's in, you know, the, our, 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 our career or whether it's in our, our, our everyday moments with God. We feel like there's something that someone has, not, has been around and they haven't put in their dues like me. They haven't spent their time like me and they've experienced and they've achieved and they've received these things that we feel like we shouldn't have, that we should have by now. And here's what happens when we experience delay. Delay leads to dissatisfaction, always. Delay leads to dissatisfaction, that I'm not satisfied where I am, or I'm not satisfied with what I've accomplished, or I'm not satisfied with who I am. I'm not satisfied with what I've experienced. And can I tell you something? Like, I believe, something that I believe as your pastor, and this is going to sound like it's, it, it, it goes counter to where, where we're ultimately going here, but on, on one level, that's healthy, and that's holy. On, on one level, that de- dissatisfaction can be healthy, and it can be holy. One pastor I knew referred to it as a holy discontent a divinely inspired desire for change and for progress from the way that things are to the way that things got, that, that God designed for things to be. It re- represents a hunger, a healthy and a holy hunger in you for more in life and represents a hunger for more of God. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, healthy and holy hunger turns into a distant and dissatisfied doubt. If I'm not careful and if you're not careful, Whenever I experience delay and whenever you experience delay, whenever we don't have something that we believe we should have by now, our healthy and holy hunger, if we're not careful, can turn into a distant and a dissatisfied doubt aimed at our Heavenly Father. We're in that gap between where we are and where we believe we should be. We blame God for what hasn't happened yet. That God could have made it happen and he hasn't. That God could have got me, you know, got me that promotion. He could, have, he could have orchestrated the events of life so that I would have gotten that promotion. He could have orchestrated the events of life so I would have a higher paying job. He could have orchestrated the events of life so that I would have had, stayed with that person, that that person wouldn't have dumped me and I would have actually gotten, you know, like, like he could have, and I think he should have, and he didn't. So I blame God for the fact that I am experiencing delay and I am experiencing dissatisfaction and it causes me to feel doubt. See, distant and dissatisfied doubt causes us to do this. It causes us to question God's love. You know, we go, is God really loving if this is what his love feels like? Is that re- like, is God really love if this is the best that he can do? God, we question God's faithfulness. Does God actually keep his word? You know, does, actually, does he actually stay true to what he says? It questions God's strength. Is God even able? Is God capable? I, I believe God wants to, but is he really able? Is he strong enough to do what he says he will do. What di- that's what dis- dis- distant and dissatisfied doubt does. What holy and healthy hunger does is it questions my perception of God's love. Like, hey, I, I, I may be wrong. I, I actually could have a misunderstanding of what love is and what love feels like. And so where, where I want to go, like, is, you know, is God really loving if this is what, like, maybe I've misunderstood love. If healthy and holy hunger, it questions my patience. Instead of, instead of questioning God's faithfulness, it questions my patience. Why am I so quick to dismiss God's activity when it's not on my schedule? And instead of questioning God's strength, it questions my idea of strength and activity. Is it possible that God is working and showing his strength in ways that I don't perceive or understand? So that, that, that's what healthy and holy hunger does. And then when healthy and holy hunger is, is, is done with all that, it does one more thing. And this is what I want to talk about in the face of delay in the face of delay, what healthy and holy hunger does is healthy and holy hunger chooses to plod on. It chooses to plod on. Now, 
Plotting is a word that we do not use real much. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think the biggest reason we don't use it is because it's kind of a funny sounding word. But beyond that, the idea behind plotting on is an idea that if we're just honest, it's not a real sexy idea. Because what, what, what again, it, it's a word that means something that we don't really like that much. It, because here's what plotting on is. Plotting is the deliberate action of slow and steady and repetitive steps that slowly move us in the direction of our destiny. Doesn't that sound exciting? Isn't that what you've always hoped for? Isn't that what you're praying for? Like, you know, like we pray for miracles. We pray for leaps and we pray for bounds and we pray for, I take a single step and God moves me forward in ways that I couldn't even begin to dream or imagine. The reason we don't like that definition is because of all of the words in that definition. Slow, like, no, I want fast. I actually, I don't even want it fast. I want it instantly. Plotting is steady. I want to, I want to go, I don't even just want to go fast. I don't want to have to put a whole lot of work continually. I don't want to have to try again and again and again. I want like one step. I want Amazon one step purchase. I want to hit buy now and I want to have it. I don't want repetitive. I don't want to have to do the same thing over and 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 over. And I'm bothered by the fact that Chris is saying over and over and over and over and over because I don't like repetitive. And that we're deliberate, where we intentionally choose slow and we intentionally choose steady and we intentionally choose repetitive. And we're deliberate to make sure we're doing it right. Not just that we're doing something, but that we're doing the right thing in a slow and a steady and an over and over again way. That None of us loves the idea of plotting on. But in the face of delay, the way that we choose to wrestle is by choosing to plod on while delay wants us to stop. While delay wants us to turn around and look in a different direction, the way we wrestle and the way we respond to our Heavenly Father is that we choose to plod on, that if it means plodding to get to the direction and the destination and the destiny that God has for us, if it's step by step, by slow, by slow, by deliberate, by deliberate, by repetitive, by repetitive, we keep moving forward. We keep taking the steps. And here's the thing. While God sometimes works in a moment and with a flash, more often than not, God moves through our slow and steady plotting. And maybe no one else in scripture embodied this more than a young man who became a middle-aged man who experienced delay on a level that none of us would ever want to experience. And he chose to continue plotting forward. He was the son of Jacob slash Israel, whose story we talked about in week one, Joseph's story begins in Genesis chapter 37. Here's the beginning of, of Joseph's story. In Genesis chapter 37, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought, brought a bad report about them to their father. Okay, so Joseph, our first introduction to Joseph is he's a tattletale. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Now, First off, we get that Joseph is a tattletale, 
But you know where tattletales begin? Tattletales begin out of a heart and a desire and an interior life that wants to see things done right. And when they don't see things done right, they have a problem with that. And Joseph, as a young man, his, the way that he deals with the problem that he's seen, the things not being done correctly, is he goes to tell his father that things are not being done correctly. On top of that, Joseph is set up for failure relationally because of his father's favoritism, okay? This is a difficult situation that, you know, Joseph is, the, is, is not the youngest son, but he's the youngest son born in the land where everyone else was born. His younger brother, Benjamin, is the only son born in the land of promise, he, he, once he's, once, once uh, Jacob slash Israel has returned, you know, to, to his homeland, Joseph is the youngest son born there. And there's a long distance between him and his younger brother, Benjamin. So here's what happens in verse five. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him, asked their, their second youngest brother. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And they're like, oh my gosh, did he not realize the first time we hated him because of his dream? And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, this is a really insane dream, and, 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 and Joseph believed this as a promise, as a destiny, as his destiny from God. This was not a one-time dream. This was a dream that had meaning, and it was repeated. And in some ways, this is almost an unfair promise to give to a 17-year-old. Unfair because a 17-year-old doesn't know how to receive this promise from God with grace. Confidence, yes. Grace, no. And as Joseph receives the promise with confidence, but without grace, his brothers turn on him and eventually against him. And that unfolds a series of events that sends Joseph's life spiraling and appears to send Joseph's life on an incredibly delayed path to what Joseph believed was his destiny. So his brothers, just to kind of patch over about four chapters of scripture, his brothers plot to kill him. It's only because of a momentary stricken conscience from one brother that his life is spared, but he is still sold as a slave to random traders. While he is a slave in Egypt, Joseph plods and Joseph prospers as much as one could prosper as a slave. He works hard. Maybe he go, maybe I can still make something of myself. Maybe this is part of God's plan. God still has a future. God still has a destiny. Who knows what it looks like, but maybe just maybe if I work hard, I can still end up where God wants me to work out. So Joseph plods and Joseph prospers. And we hear this as if this happened really quickly, but Joseph's hard work over time was noticed by his master, an official who was working for Pharaoh, and Joseph was put in charge of the entire household. This did not happen quickly. Slaves don't become trusted household administrators overnight. And just as things are looking up and he's placed in charge of the home of a powerful Egyptian official, Joseph is wrongly accused of sexual assault for doing what was actually right, by the way, and he's thrown into prison. Once more, the destiny Seems like it has actually, it's not even been delayed. It's farther than it's ever been before. He was the son of a wealthy man in the promised land. 
Now he's a slave who worked his way up and it seems like he's getting closer and closer and now it's further than it's ever been as he finds himself in prison. He was just beginning to see a glimpse of prosperity and authority and responsibility and it's dashed and it's delayed once again. But again, Joseph plods on. We're told in scripture that while in prison, he continued to work hard and he earned the respect of the people around him. We're told this amazing thing that I think we all dream of that Joseph gained the favor of the prison warden. Isn't that what you want for your children? Isn't that what you want for yourself? Like, I just can't wait till I get the favor of the prison warden. But the prison warden notices Joseph's diligence and leadership and puts him in charge of the prison. Again, this didn't happen quickly. Prisoners don't get trusted with the prison overnight. His prosperity in all kinds of circumstances was the result of his plotting. So he keeps plotting. He keeps plotting on. And one day while serving in the prison, some of Pharaoh's officials have dreams and Joseph correctly interprets them. When one was freed and returned to his post, Joseph says, remember me, even when we are apart, remember me. Each time you hear a sad guitar, right? Anyway, like, he's like, remember me. And this is Joseph's chance to be recognized by someone with proximity to power. And he forgets Joseph. And once again, delay. And once again, disappointment. And if it was me, and let's be honest, if it was you, if we had experienced that kind of adversity, we would have just given up on, 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 on God's plan, on what God had said was destined. We would have believed that we had interpreted it wrong. We, we, we would have gone, you know what? I think I must have just eaten some, eaten some funny pizza that night. I think I had some bad tacos. I, th- I, think, I think I ate some bad fish. And so what I felt from God at this point, if it was from God, it's been so delayed that it's never going to happen. But, but Joseph continues to plod on. He continues to work hard while in the prison. Where we would give up, Joseph plods on. Where we would have checked out, Joseph plods on. So he continues to work hard in the prison. Then one day, Pharaoh has a dream. One day, Pharaoh has a dream, and, the, and none of his officials can figure out what it means. But the guy who was in prison with Joseph remembers there was this guy in prison, and he interpreted my dream that no one else could interpret. He interpreted that correctly. Maybe we go get him. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and Joseph comes in and tells Pharaoh, I can't interpret your dream, but God can give me the interpretation of the dream. In other words, Joseph still believes in God. Joseph still trusts God. Joseph still trusts God's ability. And then he, with the strength of God, with the power of God, by the ability that God has given him, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And not only interprets Pharaoh's dream, but gives Pharaoh a plan. Again, if you're in front of Pharaoh and you've been in prison, you give him the interpretation of the dream to get on his good side. And you go, and if you let me out of prison, I'll give you the plan. <laughs> okay. And Joseph doesn't, he just begins, he, he can't help himself. He's giving the plan that will rescue the people of Egypt where he lives. And so here's what happens in verse 37 of Genesis 41. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And he said to them, can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I, as king, will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. 
And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the surface, service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You can notice that there's some details there. Joseph is 17 when we meet him, when we're told that he has a dream from God, that one day he will be in charge and one day he will be in authority and people will bow down to him. Now he is 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 13 years had gone by from the time Joseph had his dreams to the moment he was placed in charge in Israel and a whole lot of things that could have and maybe should have and if it would have been you or me, it would have knocked out his faith in the meantime did not knock him out because Joseph had his eyes fixed on God, not on the circumstances. Joseph had his eyes fixed on destiny, no matter the delay. And when you have your eyes fixed on God's destiny, no matter what the delay is, no matter what the doubt is, no matter what the disappointment and the dissatisfaction is, we remain hungry and we remain healthily and holy, holily plotting on before God and because of what God has placed before us. And he trusted that God would work out the circumstances to match the call and the destiny that God had placed before him. But if you notice, Joseph is in charge, but that's still not quite the fulfillment of his dream. Because while a bunch of people are going to bow before him, his own family isn't. And that was part of the picture that God had given him repeatedly. So seven years of prosperity come before the land of Egypt. And then seven years of famine begin throughout Egypt and the entire Middle East. And a few years into the famine, again, so now seven more years have gone by, and at least partway into another seven years, a few years into the famine, other countries begin to hear that somehow there is food in Egypt. So Joseph's family back in the promised land hear about it too, and they come to buy or trade food in Egypt. And as they do, they have to come before, guess who? Joseph. And they bow before Joseph. And scripture tells us that Joseph remembered his dream. Isn't that that a fantastic detail within scripture? That Joseph remembered his dream. As they're bowing down, Joseph is going, this is what that was, this is the moment that that was about all those years ago. 13 years ago, and then another seven years ago, and then let's say another three years beyond that. This is 23 years. Joseph is now 40. And he's just now seeing the fulfillment of his dream. And Joseph, as he had done all along, he did the next right thing. And he had a little bit of fun in the process. Joseph played some games that would require the whole family to be present in Egypt if they would get any food. And once the whole family is there, he reveals himself as Joseph and provides food and land for the whole family. And once his father comes down and they settle outside of the capital of Egypt, what happens is Joseph's own father comes. He's reunited. Joseph and Israel are reunited as father and son. And then eventually Israel would would pass on. He would pass away. And after he passed away, his brothers were so terrified that, that Joseph had been treating them well because of the, because, for the sake of his father. But that once his father had passed on, Joseph would turn on them. And so they come to Joseph and say, we know what you've done. We'll be your slaves if you'll just, be, if you'll just pr- keep providing us with food. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. It says in, in Genesis chapter 50, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result the survival of many people. You think you sent me here as a slave, 
what I know is that God got me here as a slave to accomplish what he is now accomplishing, which is the survival of many people. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. What they knew, what everyone from the outside knew, looking at it would go, we delayed it, it was our fault, we delayed it, it was our fault. We believe, like now as we see you in charge, you should have been in charge, we should have recognized this in you, we delayed it. And Joseph recognizes, no, 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 no. This was God's plan all along. And so God took the delay and God orchestrated and God weaved it. You think you sent me here? I know God got me here so that God's purposes could be fulfilled. And I believe, and I think Joseph even believed, God got me here so that it could get you here so that I wouldn't just save many people, but so that I could save our family. Joseph looks at his brothers more than 20 years after his dreams, 20 years of delay, and says, you meant to harm me, but God took every turn and he used it to accomplish his will and his plan and his purpose. And I think Joseph would add, and God wasn't alone in this. God was working as I was working. God was working and I was working. God was working and I kept plodding on. I never stopped believing and acting as if God was with me. I never stopped believing and acting as if God had something for me. I never stopped believing and acting as if a single moment mattered to God and to others. And God used that plotting to accomplish his purpose. Now, I, I was first kind of brought on to the idea of, the, of the, the language of plotting on. And I've kind of taken the plotting on and I've, you know, posed it over the story of Joseph, but I think we certainly see that. But the idea of plotting on first came to me um, from some terminology I read when I read a quote from legendary missionary William Carey a long time ago. If you're not familiar with William Carey, in, in 1792, uh, as, as, a, as a pastor and a preacher in Britain, he challenges his listeners on the idea that would form the heartbeat of modern missions work. At the core were two simple but profound challenges, and this quote came from him. This is not the quote that I'm talking about, but this is powerful. He said this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Like, he stood up and said, when it comes to reaching people who are far from God, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And out of this message, later that year, the Baptist Missionary Society was formed with Carrie designate with William Carey and his family designated and sent out as the very first missionaries. In 1793, Carey and his young family moved to India to work and to reach the people of India with the gospel of Jesus. Today, he is considered the founder of modern missions, but during much of his lifetime, William Carey was incredibly familiar with delay and loss. Within his first year in India, his son died of illness and his wife experienced a breakdown that which that she never recovered from. In fact, this was the first wife that he would bury in India, but was not his last. This is one of two wives that he would bury in India during his ministry there. Carrie did not see a decision to follow Christ among a local until his seventh year in India. That's almost as long as our church has been in existence. He did not see a single convert to, fit to Christian faith in the first seven years in India. I would feel that as a rejection and would probably think that I had felt the call of God incorrectly. Carrie pressed on and he plotted on and stayed busy doing whatever he could put his hands to. Here's what his hands did accomplish. In doing so, he established Serampore College, 
organized the Agricultural Society of India, translated the New Testament into Bengali, published a New Testament in Sanskrit, which was a language that would be then used um, to translate into Hindustani. He wrote grammars in Bengali, Sanskrit, and Marathi for future translators, taught as a professor of divinity, botany, and zoology, and helped establish the first printing press in India so that the translations could not just be copied, but could actually be printed. And you would imagine that you'd go like, oh, wow, okay, so he did a lot. As a professor and translator, he spent his life surrounded by prayer, so by, by, by paper. So his life didn't see, in the first seven years, didn't see a whole lot of converts to Christian faith, but he was laying a foundation. We go, okay, he was laying the foundation. And then in March of 1812, 19 years after coming to India, almost all of Carey's work went up in flames when a room at the printing press filled with 12,000 reams of stored paper that represented Carey's entire life's work caught on fire. His grammars, his presses, his manuscripts, his dictionaries, and 10 translations of the Bible typeset for printing in 14 languages were turned to ash. 19 years of work was gone. Can you imagine that feeling of devastation, that feeling of delay? That evening, Carrie, when he received word, he came to the printing house to survey the damage, and after seeing nearly his entire life's work burned with fire, he sat down in an adjacent room and picked up a pen to start over the same night. From this moment of beginning again to the end of his life, it was his joy to see more than 213,000 volumes of the Bible in 40 different languages issued from that very same printing press. Later in his life, Carey wrote the following to a friend. He said, if after my removal, and this is where, this is where I got the, the language of plotting on from this quote, if after my removal, after my death, anyone should think it worth his while to write about my life, I will give you a criterion by which you may judge of its correctness. If he gives me pro credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Everything of William Carey's life, everything of Joseph's life was accomplished because of a refusal to give up and a commitment to keep moving forward, slow and steady and determined and definite and repetitive it moves us where God wants to move us and it accomplishes what God wants to accomplish in and through us. See, here's the truth today is that God's purpose is almost always accomplished because of someone's plotting. I mean, there, there's gonna be some miracle parts. There's gonna be some God did this faster parts. There's gonna be, we did, you know, like we, we couldn't believe how, but God just aligned all the stars perfectly and all the pieces perfectly and faster than we, I mean, there's gonna be some of that. But along with, 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 with those few momentary moments that, that God brings about in miraculous ways, there's going to be a lot of plotting that happens. In our lives, in your lives, in the life of a church, in the life of our church, there's a whole heck of a lot of plotting because God's purpose is almost always accomplished because of someone's plotting. So here's the question today. When delay knocks you out, when delay wants to knock you off the mat, will you continue to wrestle? And will you continue to wrestle when wrestling looks like plodding? Will you plod on toward what God has for you? And a, th a few things to remember here. 
this is so important to understand, is that slow motion is still motion. Slow progress is still progress. Slow growth is still growth. Slow transformation is still transformation. When it's slow, when it's steady, when it's deliberate, when it's repetitive, the repetitive things are what bring the transformation, brings the growth, brings the progress, brings the motion. Slow is still moving. And then the other thing we need to remember is that delayed destiny is still your destiny. We don't give up on God's call and destiny because it takes longer and has more obstacles than you pictured. And we also need to remember that small beginnings and slow progress still lead to significance. And so here's the thing, as we end today, as we end this series, I just want to give you, leave you with a, a mental picture. And this may be something that, that you're very familiar with. For some of us who live in the desert, we're not maybe as familiar with this idea. As someone who grew up in the northern Midwest, I'm very familiar with the idea of ice and snow. Um, and when you come up with the idea of ice and snow, we're all familiar with, with this thing that at one time took out the largest ship that had ever been, been, been created. It was called an iceberg, right? Icebergs in our faith, I think, are represented by our plotting. There's, there's, there's the part above the surface where, we want, where, where there's what we want to receive and what we want to be and who we want to become. And then there's all the stuff that happens underneath the surface, that's represented and developed in the slow plotting. See, the plotting represents all, the plotting in the delay is the far larger, far greater, unseen part of life that is beneath the surface, that makes the much smaller, above the surface, seen stuff possible and worth it. See, here's what happens. In, in the plotting, character is formed below the surface that sustains your capabilities. You're capable of a lot, but where your capabilities will take you cannot be sustained if you don't have character to match. And the character is all formed underneath the surface through our plotting. In the plotting, integrity is formed below the surface that can sustain your good intentions. You got all the good intentions in the world. If you have not developed intention, intentionality and integrity below the surface, all your good intentions will be traded in a moment when you have the opportunity to advance faster then you want to advance. It's in the plotting, the underneath the surface stuff. In the plotting, work ethic is formed below the surface that makes you want to do it right, not just get it done. Not just cut a corner to get it done, but a work ethic that says we want, we're, we're going to make sure we get this right. When it comes to our faith, we're going to get it right. When it comes to our church, we're going to get it right. When it comes to my career, we're going to get it right. When it comes to my family, we're going to get it right. See, here's what I, think, what I think Joseph and I think William Carey and what I know I can tell you for sure is true. The delay is a gift from God. Joseph would look at his brothers and go, I know you think you sent me here, but I know God got me here. The delay is a gift from God that allows our character and our integrity and our resilience to be built to a place where it all looks, it's, it's under the surface. No one sees it, but it's the thing that sustains the life above the surface. The delay is a gift from God. It was for Joseph. It's where he was formed deeply by God. It was for William Carey. It's where his most significant and lasting work happened. Imagine William Carey going, you know what? Hey, in the first seven years, I didn't see anyone con convert to Christianity. I'm packing up my bags. I'm going home. Instead, in the delay of seeing the actual conversion, he decided, well, I'm going to put pen to paper and I'm going to be working on, my, on translating. I'm going to use my love for language to translate this into languages that can be read after I'm gone. And perhaps if you're willing to accept it, 
it will be a gift from God to you as well. And if you'll accept the gift with a holy, humble, and hungry plodding on, it will be as God develops in you something that could never develop in your timing. And as God does something significant through you that you could never see coming in your plans. So let's plot on. When wrestling looks like plotting, let's wrestle on and let's plot on. Let's accept the delay as a gift from God and allow God to develop in us and allow God to do through us whatever he wants to do in our delay as we move towards his destiny by continuing to plod on. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you for your mercy for us. Thank you for the calling and the destiny that you have for us. And God, today, I simply pray for every one of us who may be experiencing delay right now, or, or we've been in a season of delay, what feels like delay for a long time, where we have not experienced what we feel like you've promised, where we haven't experienced the freedom that you've promised, where we haven't experienced the joy or the peace that you've promised, or whatever it is that we feel like we should have by now and we don't have by now. God, I pray in our moments of delay, we would continue to look to you. We would keep our eyes on the destiny, not on the delay. We would keep our eyes on the one who gave us the destiny, gave us the calling, not on, the one who, not, on, not on all of life's obstacles that got in the way. But God, we would choose to keep our eyes on you and to accept the delay as a gift from you, that you are still ordering our steps. You are still ordering our plans. You are still, still working out your purposes. And so God, because all of that is true, we're gonna continue to plot on after the things that you have placed before us. So God, help us have wisdom to know what that looks like. Help us have courage to continually put that into practice. And God, out of that, out of our plotting, would you do in us more than we think is possible? Would you do in us more than we think is possible? Would you do more through us than we think is possible? And God, we can't wait to see what you do in a, as a result of our plotting. We choose it today in Jesus' name, amen.